Okay, now we're really going to start. We're really going to begin. It's really going to happen. That's pretty good. Let us pray. I always love it when everybody stops and you hear that. Lord God, Heavenly Father, as you spoke to your people of old through Isaiah the prophet, and in these words you both spoke words of comfort and words of condemnation, words that brought terror and fear, as well as words that also gave hearts the consolation that can only come through a God who cares so much for them that he would give his own son unto death in their behalf. Help us today as we study your word and as we meditate with Martin Luther on the great teachings of this text. May we always re reserve a special place in our heart for the word of God, that we may meditate upon it, dwell upon it, and use it for our good both spiritually and also temporally. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Is it warm in here or is it me? It's me? Okay. Well, I'd like to know why it is that every person who thinks that it's cold in here is over 55 years of age. <laughs> all right. Have you all got Bibles and do you all have handouts? Okay. The reason why it is that I didn't put the handouts on the table is because I never know how many people are going to be sitting at the table. And there were a whole bunch of them that were left on the tables. And so if you would afterwards, I know that you want to bring these home. You probably want to get up every morning, reread them. And you probably at nighttime wanted to sit down and say your prayers using them. But if not, put them in the garbage can on your way out. <laughs> Hopefully the, the former, not the latter. Well, um, yeah, we've got, uh, we've got a lot happening today. We've got our kids that are preschool children are going to be singing in our second service. And, um, and uh, what a great blessing that is. Um, I, wanna, I just want to make one comment here before we take off, just to kind of speak to your hearts about this a little bit. Um, I called up a lady yesterday who had visited our congregation and uh, this is nothing, um, how do I put this? I, I asked her whether, why she hadn't come back. And she said uh, to me, she said, you were the only person that spoke to me when I came. Now, um, I know that, and I, you know, there are a couple of things that I said. You know, and of course, the one thing that you don't say is, well, who the heck did you speak to? Because oftentimes when people come in, they don't think of going up to somebody and saying, hi, you know, I'm so-and-so, I'm a visitor here. Uh, they usually wait for somebody to come up and speak to them. Now, you might not always recognize somebody who is, a not, who is not a member. You might think, well, I've kind of embarrassed myself. When we were growing up in Colorado, I remember there was this man and this woman that came to our congregation, and they said, um, and people went up to him and said, well, welcome. You know, we've never seen you here before. Are you guests with us today? And they said, we've been members here for 20 years. <laughs> well, the only problem is that's about how often they attended, once every 20 years. Um, but uh, so in other words, you sometimes don't know people, and it's a little embarrassing to say you don't know people. 
But if you see somebody who comes in and they kind of come in like this and you know it kinda, they're wondering where they are and where they're supposed to be and where the envelopes are, where the bulletins are, whatever it might be, if you see that, go up to them and introduce yourself. And that is something that all it takes is one person, two people to walk up and say, hey, welcome, nice to have you here. Uh, we, we moved out to Colorado when I was in high school, and um, I re we went to this church in Cortez. It was a, it was a Missouri Center church. We were very happy about that. My it was my father's criteria for whether or not we would ever move from Minnesota, and we went to church out there. There was one kid in that congregation that came out and introduced himself to me. It was Chris Melby, and Chris came out shook my hand and said, hi, I'm Chris Melby, so on and so forth. Chris Melby became one of my best friends, but when I went back to Minnesota, my parents asked me, they said, are you willing to move? Because, you know, that's one of those things that parents are always concerned about when their kid is going to be a junior in high school, whether or not they should move, you know. I said, I want to go. And I, it was solely based upon the fact that Chris Melby was so incredibly friendly. So just bear that in mind and put it on your hearts that uh, there are people out there and, and if you look beneath the surface, uh, there are so many people that are hurting. There are so many people that, that need to have friendship. And I'm, you know, you know me, I'm, I'm a person who says, you go to a church not because they're all your buddies, but because that's where the word of God is to be found and the sacraments are rightly administered. I mean, that is it. And it gets to be tough when you move someplace in the country and you come to discover that everybody in the congregation is 95 years old and, um, and there aren't any kids. And you're walking in with three kids and you're wondering where the Sunday school is and you, you know, they, they don't have a cry room and all that kind of stuff. And you say, why am I here? Well, it's, the church is not a convenience center. Uh, the convenience centers are over there, they have playgrounds and coffee shops and all that kind of stuff. We have to be a church of the word, but what does it matter if we are a church of the word, but we are not a church of love, and a church of love that extends itself out to people who are not our own? And I, I bring that not by way of, of rebuke or anything like that. You are the most loving people I've ever known, but at the same time, there are people out there who don't know that and can't see that. So... Anyway, okay. Well, what does Isaiah say? Um, we're going to turn to the 25th chapter. And just to kind of read some words, uh, let's, um, let's, uh, let's look at, uh, maybe just take a piece out of this. Um, let's, uh, why don't we read... Um, Let's say uh, chapter 25, and let's read down through, oh, I would say through, let's say verse 5, okay? And let's alternate, just for the sake of interest, let's alternate back and forth between men and women. And, um, and, uh, and, and since I've been so deeply influenced by the March on Washington, let's start with the women Okay, 
25, verse 1, I'll help you start off. Oh, Lord. Men, you have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigner's stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall. Okay. It's a lot of a lot of going back and forth between you know, their oppressors, uh, the, the guilt that God or the punishment that God puts upon those who were their oppressors, but also a, a rebuke for themselves as, as God's people for what they failed to do and for what they failed to be, along with them promises. But I'm going to, I extracted what I consider to be kind of some of the main themes from Isaiah 25:27, let's have a look at those. Those are right at the very top up there. You might find this to be strange. The godly rejoice when the ungodly meet with justice. The godly rejoice when the gospel is preached throughout the world. The godly rejoice because God gives peace to their hearts and souls. The godly must face great battles with Satan and the world, but most especially with afflictions that God imposes upon them. God does this so that the godly will not trust in themselves, but in him. We're, you know, this is, this is, the, this is going to be the great mystery. Uh, why does this happen? The godly can be preserved only by remaining constantly in the word of God, the ungodly do not recognize the fruit that comes from tribulations that God imposes. And Christ will remain within his church to sustain his people and deliver them from the power of idolatry. He winnows the faithful out of the unfaithful. Some interesting phrases there in words. Let's start with the first part here. The godly rejoice when the ungodly meet with justice. I don't know about you, but there's a, it does, doesn't there some seem to be kind of a contradiction there, you know, we, when we talk about forgiving our enemies and so on, and then to turn around and to say, but man, am I ever glad that they got their just desserts. There's a bit of a contradiction, I suppose. But, Nevertheless, Luther says that when these oppressors are trying to not just oppress me, it isn't just all about me. What is it really about? It's about what is it that has to be made known? It's about God and his word, isn't it? Isn't it about, about the gospel? Isn't it really that in the end what we're really glad about is when there is justice that is done to the ungodly, not merely because of what they're doing to us, but because of what they're doing to Christ. And that's what um, 
one time when I was, um, I was back in the old days, I was a substitute teacher. And um, I very quickly realized that I could never be a teacher of children in elementary school because it absolutely wore me out. I do not know how people can handle that day in and day out. Anyway, I was coming back from, from school and I looked out and here is this lady. She was pushing a little baby in a, in a carriage, a little child, and this dog was viciously attacking them. Now, I've always had a bit of a fear of dogs um, ever since I got bit about 16 times as a paper boy. And, um, and when I saw that happening, I jumped out of my car. I had only a coffee cup, because that's what teachers drink, coffee. And I went after that dog with that coffee cup. And the dog turned around and ran like crazy when he saw me coming with my coffee cup. So I decided ever since then that if I ever saw a Doberman Pinscher, I'd grab a coffee cup. It must be the cup that did it. But anyway, it, it infuriated me, and it was a just anger. Now, when we think of people and how they destroy people's salvation, they destroy people's hope in Christ, so they destroy God's honor, second commandment, they destroy God's name, doesn't that just get you mad? I don't know about you, but when I saw a sign that said, if Mary had had an abortion, the world would have been better off. Carried in the great march in Washington. That makes me mad. But it makes me mad, too, when people try to deliberately rob the gospel of its glory. When they add a price tag onto what Christ did. Yeah, Jesus died for you, but you have to do this, you have to do that. And they enslave souls. Now, the worst of it we see in, in cults. When I was a pastor out in Utah, this girl came to our church. She was fleeing. She, um, she had been brought up by the Mormon church she had had this fascination with some Mormon missionary, and when they go out on their mission trips and they meet these girls and these girls fall in love with them, guess what? They use that as evangelism, proselytization, I should call it. And so these girls would, oh, you know, oh, you're so wonderful. And the guy would say, well, come to Utah. Well, she thinks she's coming to Utah to be his bride, right? And she comes up to Utah, and all of a sudden she finds out he's not interested in the relationship. And by the way, since you're here, here's the home of so-and-so. They're going to have you live with them and such. And this girl was basically told that she, would, she was in, basically enslaved as a result of it. She came to our church. And we, we were just, I was just livid that these people would play with people's lives like this, especially as they tried to buy her soul. So Luther says here, you know, there is such a thing there is such a thing as Christians, the godly, rejoicing at the destruction of the ungodly. Look at what he says. When it says, O Lord, thou art my God, I will exalt thee, I will praise thy name. So the godly may deservedly rejoice over the destruction of the ungodly, just as we would rejoice over a devastation of Rome and do it pious, piously. 
He's talking here about the papacy that tried to enslave men's souls and tried to be able to make salvation into something that could almost be purchased by means of such things as indulgences or this doctrine of purgatory and the whole system that was set up to basically extract money from people and to enslave their souls. And even today, you probably know this, but even today, Rome will say that nobody can be certain of their salvation. Not even the Pope. So what do you do? Have you ever been to a Greyhound racetrack? <laughs> I guess she hasn't, but anyway. I, I, have you ever, anybody, come on, let's be honest. Anybody here ever been to a Greyhound racetrack? About three people, four people, five people. They get that little rabbit out there in front, and those Greyhounds run like crazy to catch that mechanical rabbit. It's the dumbest thing you'd think that the Greyhounds would be going, forget it. I've never been able to catch one. I'm never going to catch one ever again. But no, they run like crazy after that rabbit. That's exactly what it is that Rome did with salvation. You cannot ever know whether or not you've attained it. You just have to work hard. And you have to gain all these spiritual merits. And if you just run short, remember that the church has got it too. They've got something that they can give to you maybe. Or maybe your relatives could say masses after you're dead to get you out of purgatory even faster. Luther says, we're not necessarily so unhappy if God were to destroy that. So there's a little bit of that. Um, 25, verse 5, and this is, these are thematic, so he calls the shade of a cloud. Thus God will suppress our tyrants if he withdraws the cloud from them. In other words, I will deprive them of wise men so that they will be finished one after another. Then he says, as I heard in effort... There will be no lack of money, but of men. Um, what does he mean by, by that? Um, God, um, when God gives wise men, it can be a country, it can be a church. God gives wise people, wise people, people with wisdom, to a country. It's okay. As we say, it's Jesus. <laughs> no. Um, God gives wise people to a country, and that wisdom is what, what, what preserves a country. Um, there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? Wisdom knows how to time things. Wisdom knows what to say. Wisdom knows what the factors are and how you preserve your people through the use of wisdom. And what God will do is he takes away wise people when he punishes a nation. He takes away wisdom. And so Luther would say in Erfurt, they've got lots of money, but they don't have many wise people. That can also be our country, right? And that's why we're all holding our breath we're holding our breath about Washington, D.C. because we're wondering whether or not there are a bunch of wise people there or whether or not God is going to pull back the veil of his cloud 
and what we're going to end up with is a whole bunch of trouble. It doesn't matter where you stand politically. That's our prayer. We want God to grant us wise people. And one of the ways that Luther will say, God will use one tyrant to punish another. So don't always think that just because you're the being the so-called victim, somebody's aggressive towards you, that, that means you're innocent. He will use one tyrant to punish another. Let's hope and pray that God gives us that wisdom and gives us wise leaders and wise people to lead our country. So the, the godly rejoice, though, when they see God's justice coming upon these ungodly that would pers uh, persecute us. Number two, the godly rejoice when the gospel is preached throughout the world. Luther in 25 verse 4, For thou hast become a stronghold for the poor. Here he describes the kingdom of Christ, which receives the poor, the needy, the afflicted, the weak, and the weary. When he says that he has been sent to preach the good news to them, he is exalted. To them he is gentle and merciful, but to kings and to the wise he is a terror. Um, this is... Uh, this is um, hard for us sometimes to understand, I think, don't, don't you? That um, it says in James that when a wealthy man comes in, everybody says, here, be seated here, here, be seated here. But the poor guy comes in and we, you know, they, they get shoved to the back, you know, please stay away, you know, okay, nice to have you here, kind of. Um, the poor and the needy are not necessarily those who are poor and needy financially. The poor and the needy are those who are in here poor and needy and who see that they do not have the kind of righteousness that God needs from them. Their conscience is being afflicted. And very often, uh, these are the people who have problems in their life. They make a mess out of their life. And how do you redeem people who are in those situations? Oftentimes, if you think you're Nurse Nancy, you're not going to be able to solve the problem, right? Very often, these are people who carry with them such scars and burdens that the only way that they can find any peace in their life is for the gospel to have its effect upon their heart. Now, that, that text that we have, those of you that were in first service today, uh, that text that we had about that paralytic, and when that man came, believe you me, the text doesn't say it overtly, that he came needing relief in his heart. We think of only the physical aspects of those things. It's the deeper things of the heart where people are sad and in despair and they feel themselves to be so weak and they wish that they were better at what they were doing and they are making a mess out of their lives or they think that they might make a mess out of their life. And we think that everybody else is so nice, you know, that you see that nice surface and we think everybody is doing really well. I wonder why it is that I'm the only one that isn't. And you come to discover all you have to do is just scratch that surface. And deep down underneath it, every single person is struggling with who they are and what they cannot be. And if they're not, they are a blinded hypocrite. 
And so when people can be honest about what's going on in here and they can come, we are rejoicing. We're so happy. It means so much to us. And we should be happy and rejoice wherever the gospel is being preached in the world. If the forgiveness of sins, like we said today in that service, if the forgiveness of sins is the most important thing to us, it's also the most important thing to others. It is. My, my, my granddaughter, speaking of ice cream, my granddaughter likes ice cream. In fact, she knows the name of the restaurant that serves ice cream. It's called Scoops in downtown. And, um, and all I have to do is say, who wants to go to Scoops? And she runs at lightning speed to me and jumps up into my arms, figuring that I'm going to bring her down for ice cream. Well, I, I think it's really wonderful that she loves ice cream, but I can guarantee you she's not happy to share her ice cream. <laughs> we as Christians are people who not only love the gospel, but we love to also share the gospel too. And it's a, it's a marvelous thing to be able to see a person's heart when that sinks in. And you ain't going to get into that inside of people without first caring about them. And usually the surface is not the most spectacular thing. So, okay. Um, let's read on. Number three, the godly rejoice because God gives peace to their hearts and souls. Yeah, that's kind of what we have been saying. Luther says, <clears throat> we have a strong city. This is the praise and preaching of the church against which the gates of hell shall not prevail because the city is strong in government and priesthood. He's not speaking about the secular government, but he's talking about how it is that we have order and we also have faithful pastors and teachers. Because he trusts in thee, this is the origin of peace, namely hope and faith. As St. Paul says in Romans 5.1, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God. That is, we shall be harmonious of one mind. No one has more than the other, and therefore there cannot be discord but peace. Well, it, why, why, is, why is there... You guys are so peaceful, but um, when does a congregation start experiencing division? What are some of the signs of division? What are some of the signs or one of the causes, if you will, so to speak, or what we perceive to be the causes of division in a congregation? Yes. Say what? Money. That, that there's a and we say we say money. Sometimes it is that those who would give the most think that they also have more voice than anybody else. Right? That happens. Sometimes it is the perception of. We had one family that came here. Uh, he was a truck driver, and she was. A, I don't know what something like that. And she came in and she said, I saw all the nice cars and I saw all the people that were so well-dressed. I, I don't think that I belong here. I said, of course you do. No, well, she couldn't afford very nice clothes. But anyway, 
Sometimes that perception is there. What else? Though division and controversy in the congregation. We've seen it all before, haven't we? Yeah? Of work? I mean, like, who's doing the jobs around here? I mean, why is it that the same people are always serving in the same positions and nobody else does anything? Everybody who would like to be on a board, please raise their hand. <laughs> why is it that some people are doing all the work? Now, actually, we might also say that in the body of Christ that there are different gifts, aren't they? Some people serve in different ways. And we can't, we have a hard time being able to say, well, um, I have been serving in this way, and now look at those people out there. We used to, when I was a pastor in Connecticut, I can talk about that. I don't think anybody's listening anyway on, on the web. Um, but the trustees used to have work days. And they regarded that as the cardinal virtue for anybody who participated and the cardinal sin for anybody who didn't. And so if you didn't show up for work day, you are a nobody. Well, I tried to test that, and I didn't show up for work day. And I was nobody for at least a little while. Um, but, yeah, this, this idea that you know, there are some who are servers and some who are takers, there are some who are givers, some who are takers, but uh, Luther says, in the church, we all have equal ownership. Even the new people that are coming in today, did you guys realize how much our church property and buildings are worth and that you are now co-owners? And you didn't do a doggone thing up until this point in order to contribute to that? We are sharing everything that we have with one another and there is total equality. Nobody is better than or worse than anybody else. Luther, yeah. So we are we're rejoicing that God gives such peace to our souls and to our hearts. Um, number four. The godly must face great battles with Satan in the world, but most especially with afflictions that God imposes upon them. God does this so that the godly will not trust in themselves, but in him. This is, this is the great mystery of the faith, and it's just something we have to keep saying over and over again because we have to remember that when God loves his children, he doesn't always make their life so hunky-dory. Now, we've got a couple of people. Somebody in the congregation today had a, had a father who this last week had some real heart problems, ended up going in and uh, having a stint and whatever else. Now, it comes out and goes, man, this is wonderful. It isn't just wonderful. It's just wonderful that you're alive. Uh, we had another guy who had surgery. Uh, he had had strokes, and he went in for surgery on a carotid artery and comes back out and by George it's amazing how much better the world looks after that surgery um, do you think as Christians that if we go through life and everything is hunky dory no problems no sickness, no disease 
Good kids, perfect kids. Um, if everybody has a good job, never have a trial or a tribulation, that all of this means that we're blessed by God. As the prosperity people, uh, Donald Trump's pastoress uh, from Florida who preaches the prosperity gospel, if you're obedient to God, you, get, you prosper. If you're not obedient to God, you fail. And all you have to do is just keep climbing that ladder. Sounds like an Amway and a, uh, presentation, right? If you give to God, he's going to give back to you in greater measure. And if you are prospering, it means that you've done your things right. The fact of the matter is that God lays burdens upon his children, and he lays burdens upon our flesh, and he lays burdens upon our souls. And he does it so that we do not come to trust God in ourselves. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's uh that's not even a question. That's a that is that is a that's true. And as uh, we might say poor Jesus. Um yeah, now look, look at some of these quotes. We've got to move fairly fast here because we have a couple people to introduce and we also have Abby who's going to talk to us a little bit as well. Luther says, The worship of the New Testament is to believe, to trust, to hope in God's mercy. No one has this kind of faith and hope except those who have been thoroughly afflicted both inwardly and outwardly. For he has brought low the inhabitants of the height. The Christian is daily attacked by Satan and therefore must keep on trusting forever since the battle and the struggle to keep the faith is very great. Satan is so wicked that he plots how to sap the strength of him who stands in the word by making him tired. Just getting worn out. Have you ever noticed that you can sometimes sleep better? when you're all worn out. The godly can be preserved only by remaining constantly, he says, in the word. These beautiful texts in, in chapter 25 and 26, he will swallow up death forever. For he says that he will soon extinguish death, but that he will always swallow up death through the spirit. So also Christ destroys death. As a plague consumes the body little by little, so Christ is the pestilence of our death and of our old Adam. In other words, we got this sinful nature here and these tribulations, whatever tribulations he imposes upon us, is supposed to be like a disease that is going after our old Adam and killing him, which we participate in when we repent. That it's a, you know, it's so hard to say this to people when they're going through tough times. When you've been rejected, when people have lost somebody that they've loved, when, when your pride has been crashed, thrown to the ground, you lose your job, you, you find out that there are just so many things. And people say, where is God? Has he forsaken me? Has he taken me? What he is doing is he is putting your sinful nature to death so that you do not trust in yourself. And then what you do is you transfer your trust onto God, 
and come what may, you know that he is going to work all things for your good, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And you do not always understand where God is leading you and why God is doing what he is doing. But you have to trust he is the almighty God. Well, you know, on that note, uh, we've got a few people to introduce. Um, is Abby here? Abby, Abby, Abby. Come down here. She's going to tell you a little bit about all Lutheran Schools Week here. And she decided that she would get lots of sleep last night. Okay, here you go. Come and tell us a little bit about our Lutheran schools. Well, hi. I'm Abby Fritcher, and I'm, I serve on the school board here um, at, for our little preschool that we have. And um, <laughs> I've served many hats uh, or done lots of things for the preschool. I taught here for uh, two years, kind of two and a half. My, my last half of a year, I sort of... Uh, was able to work under my special ed license, so I kind of slipped there. But uh, I have also now been on the school board, and then this year I also am a parent of a student. Uh, so I've done lots of things. Um, but I'm here just to kind of talk about all of the things that we've seen uh, happening in our, school, our, our preschool, how God has blessed us through this mission that we have and blessed our family as well. Um, when I, I don't, I, before I started working with our preschool, I did not have a lot of experience with Lutheran schools. I was raised primarily Catholic. My dad um, went to the Lutheran church off and on. His attendance is um, not so good, but we try to work on that. But uh, my husband was a Lutheran, and so I got to learn a little bit about Lutheran schools through his family. Um, he had a rich heritage of going to their little Lutheran school in Fort Wayne, and um, I got to see that just spill over into, well, probably their faith spilled over into their school, but that was just so intermingled. They really talked about... Um, uh, being literate and, and consuming God's word and reading his word every day. And that was such a big part of their house. And then also it was just a, such a big part of their education. I look um, in terms of the culture of their families. My, both of my grandmas were not able to go to school past the eighth grade. Just that was what was going on in their families. Josh's great grandma has a high school um, degree. So that is just so wonderful to see that. Uh, that was so in line with who they were. Um, and supporting that education. So anyway, I started working here, and I think it was like a boot camp for motherhood. Uh, I learned all kinds of great Bible stories and how to teach them. And um, and then now that I have my son, I get to attempt to do that alongside Lois <laughs> every week. We read a new Bible story, and Graham reads it in his Bible, and it's such a blessing in our home that he has an eagerness to do that, and he has an eagerness to sing his hymns, and he comes to school here, or comes to church, and he sings hymns with us, and says his Lord's Prayer, and he has such a pride and a joy in his faith. So, um, happy Lutheran Schools Week, and if you could keep our school in your prayers, and uh, every day pray for our teachers and our students so that they would know more about Christ, and, um, and also... Also, remember us in your giving. Um, we, we always need help in terms of, um, uh, you know, whatever you can give of your time, talent, or treasure. And then also, um, especially of your time, our, our Valentine's Day dinner is our big fundraiser. So if you could maybe find time in your schedule to join us for the 10th annual Valentine's Day dinner. It is being a little bit revamped. Uh, the school board kind of 
just trying to move things around and make it a little bit more exciting. So if you've been to it before and, you know, uh, give us a new try. So <laughs> anyway, that's that. Okay, well, thank you very much, Abby. We appreciate that. All right, we're going to uh, introduce uh, our new members that were brought into membership today, and uh, you'll have a chance to be able to know a little bit more about them. Uh, to start off with, uh, we'd like the Wintersteins to please uh, come forward and to tell us a little bit more, Patrick and Gina Winterstein, to tell us a little bit more about themselves. They come from the West. <laughs> But we're Midwesterners at heart. <laughs> um, uh, I'm Patrick, and this is my wife, Gina. Um, we're, we just moved from Washington State back in October. Um, we spent the first three years of our marriage in Nebraska, and the Midwest kind of just grew on us. And when we moved back to Washington for uh, the last couple of years, um, it just wasn't the same. So we uh, kind of handpicked this area. Um, Seton Fishers was uh, one of the, listed as one of the best places to live in the U.S., best places to raise a family, best place to own a business, best, you know, so on and so forth. And so uh, we just moved out here and then... Um, God works through Google. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so uh, we, uh, we started going to a church, or we tested out a couple of the churches and we just fell in love with this one when we came. Um, it's, it's a relief to have a church that so practices the word of God. Um, and the traditions of the church in the LCMS. Um, and so it's, it's been a real blessing. Thank you. We, we want to welcome you. And one of the greatest gifts of all is uh, offering envelopes. Um, <laughs> but um, we also have a new member packet. And also you get a, a box out there with your own name on it and all the uh, stuff that gets put in it. So Great. thank, you. thank you. you. Good to have you both here. We're so happy. Thank you. And, uh, thank you. We also have the Sinekees. They are here today with us, Joel and Stacy. Would you please come forward? Now you've already been warmed up to what it is that you're supposed to be saying here. <laughs> We're thankful for that, for sure. <laughs> Just a quick note on what Pastor was saying. Our experience so far has pretty much been the opposite of that as new members of this church. We've felt very welcomed. We've felt... Um, you know, that the congregation is very uh, outgoing. And that is a big part of what you want to experience in a church. But more than that, um, the word, the way it's preached here, um, Christ is the center of everything that's done at this church. And that's what drew us here. So we're more thankful for that, for sure. Um, I'm a high school teacher, special education at Frankfurt High School. Uh, and Stacy? Uh, I'm a nurse. I work downtown Indianapolis at University Hospital. And uh, so we go opposite directions every day, and we're, <laughs> we're very thankful to be in this community and to have found a church home that we feel very comfortable with. And so uh, thank you to you for that as well. And just to note that you've also been coaching? Uh, yes, I spent la this past fall as the head football coach at Frankfurt High School as well. Okay. We've got a couple of those here. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we want to welcome you as well. Um, you came from? Well, we've kind of had a twisting road as well. We actually just moved from South Carolina to yeah. back to Indiana. And before that, we lived in northern Indiana in uh, Elkhart County. And we both grew up there. 
So okay. we're very and familiar with Indiana and thankful to be back. And the church that you transferred from? Uh, St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Bremen, okay. Indiana. In Bremen. Well, we want to welcome you as well, and what a great blessing to have you both here. Congratulations to you and to us. Thank you. Sure. You do want these, There you go, sure. your own gifts. Um, that's, a, you know, the first time that uh, I have to give credit to our secretary. That's the first time that she's ever wrapped up the offering envelopes as though they were a gift. <laughs> and they are, <laughs> in many respects. So, okay, well, um, we've got about uh, two or three minutes left, but rather than press things, we do have to let our teachers go and, uh, and get ready for all those little kids that are going to be coming in and singing for us in the second service. And for those of you that have already been in the first service, um, for uh, an extra offering, we'll let you stay uh, to watch the kids sing. Uh, we'll hand out some offering envelopes in guest boxes for you, too. All right, let's uh, close with a word of prayer. Oh, dear Lord and Savior, we have... Trials and tribulations in our life, but you always deliver us from them all. Whether it be that we have been delivered by means of the inward purging of our own hearts and souls, or whether it is through trial and tribulation that you actually come to do, make us realize that we are indeed your children, yet it is a cleansing fire that always reminds us that the grace of God and the wonderful gospel of Christ is always the most important gift of all. Help us to see through all of our own spiritual paralysis that we are not and cannot be the kind of people that you want us to be, but just simply speak the word and heal us. Heal us inwardly, heal us outwardly, but heal us with the forgiveness of sins that through your word, which promises us a complete and full remission of sins, a word that promises us all the gifts of the Holy Spirit with that forgiveness of sins. We may look forward to that wonderful gift that day when we will rise again with you into everlasting life. In the light of those wonderful gifts, grant unto us an ability to live beyond the trials and tribulations of this life because we know that you are a gracious and good God and that all things do work for the good of your people. Save us from our enemies and grant unto us that peace of mind and peace of soul that the world cannot have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>